Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. You ought to know I'm Darren's brother. I could stand up here and tell you a lot of stories about Darren, but I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I, I heard an ah. So you can talk to me afterwards and uh, I'll fill you in. But Darren invited me here to speak some about his sport of Christian mission and our mission to Guinea-Bissau. But that's not what I'm going to speak about today. I, I, I think that the pulpit on Sunday morning is for one thing and one thing only, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I invite a missionary to come and speak at, at the church that I preach at in Tennessee, I always tell them the same thing. I want you to tell us about your mission, but I don't want a 30-minute commercial about your mission. I want you to preach the gospel. You see, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned pastor. I'll be the pulpit is for one thing and one thing only, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so although I will use some pictures and illustrations from our mission in Africa, this is going to be a sermon and the gospel of Jesus I've been preaching through the book of Romans uh, at home in Tennessee, and I thought chapter 10 uh, that I'll be preaching on when I get back to Tennessee, it won't be this sermon. I have never in 25 years re-preached a sermon, so I don't do that, but uh, I will be preaching on this chapter when I get back, and uh, I thought it fit perfect for for my message for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 10. Verse 2 to begin with, Romans 10, Romans 8, 2 and 3, or no, Romans 10, 2 and 3. It says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. This verse, I think, perfectly describes churches and many Christians today. Many Christians and churches have misdirected zeal. They don't understand God's way, and they cling to their own way. They are enthusiastic for God, but their enthusiasm is misdirected. Many churches have a real desire to please God, but their zeal is all about, for example, the music and performance. Others focus all on the social gospel. The gospel is replaced with speeches about social issues. Again, there's nothing wrong with being involved in helping with the right social issues, but it can't replace the gospel. Some churches become very politically involved and may even pressure people to vote certain ways, but the gospel should always trump politics. There are thousands of things that a church can focus on, but often it is misdirected zeal. But what is the one thing that every church should focus on? Look at Romans 10.1. Romans 10.1. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Seeing people saved is where every church should be putting their zeal. And not, just the ze- not, and not just the church, 
You know, it's easy for the church to support a, a missionary or an evangelistic group. But the members of the church often don't get personally involved. We all need to have a zeal. Each and every one of us in the church need to have a zeal for the lost. How much zeal? Look what, go back a chapter to Romans 9, 1 through 3, where Paul speaks about his zeal for the lost. When Christ, with Christ as my witness, I speak with other utter truthfulness. My conscience and Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I could be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Did you hear that? Paul says that he has unending grief for the lost. Do we have an unending grief for the lost? Do we really feel compassion for those that are lost? He even goes so far as to say that he'd be willing to trade his own soul, his own eternal salvation for the salvation of others. Would we be willing to trade our own soul for the salvation of others? A friend of mine is a missionary in Austria, and he's, he's too is from the Northwest. He, his mission seeks to help share the gospel with refugees coming into Austria. And most of these uh, refugees are from Muslim countries. Every three years, my friend, like many missionaries, come home uh, for furlough and visits the supporting churches that he has. Well, after 9-11, he came home while, and while speaking to one of his supporting churches, he was interrupted by a man who asked, are these Muslims that you're ministering to? And he said, well, not all of them, but many of them are. And the man proclaimed very loudly, we don't want the Muslims to be saved. And that church dropped their support of him. Why? Because their desire for revenge was greater than their desire to save the lost. Now that's an extreme example. We all have, we all need to examine our lives and ask, what is more important than the salvation of others? For many, it's as little as feeling uncomfortable. Talking to others about Jesus makes them feel uncomfortable, and so they just don't do it. Some, it's about losing a friendship. You know, they're afraid that if they talk to a friend about Jesus that, you know, maybe it'll destroy that friendship. A pastor friend of mine, actually the pastor friend of mine that's responsible for me staying in uh, Tennessee, he uh, uh, came to me and asked for my resume after I graduated from, from Emmanuel. But he's been in the ministry for over 50 years. And he said that this is, he told me once this is how he answered somebody who told him that they didn't want to lose a friend by telling them about Jesus. He said, well, if you share the gospel with your friend and they get upset and their friendship's over, what, what have you lost? You've lost a friend for a few years, a decade or two at the most. But if they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then you've gained a friend for eternity. They'll still be your friend a million years from now. And I thought, what a great way 
of impressing on somebody the importance of sharing the gospel with those we care about. Now, of course, we can't trade our salvation for the salvation of others. God's good enough he wouldn't let us do that. But we can make it our highest priority. We can make it our greatest longing, as Paul did. This is where I can say a little bit about our mission to Guinea-Bissau and the Sportic Christian Mission. It's a mission that is completely and totally committed to saving the lost among the Portuguese-speaking people. We are so committed that we only have one employee in the United States because we don't want to take up all of our we don't want to take up all of our uh, resources in administration. And uh, Tim is uh, in the middle of this picture uh, is uh, one of our um, is our director of Hispanic Christian Mission, and he's been there for several years. And he's a great man of God and a passion for saving the lost. There he's uh, focused around him as a bunch of children from one of our schools. But um, when we went to when we went to uh, Guinea-Bissau, uh, we f- we decided also that we would not use missionaries there as traditionally done. Uh, instead, we get our missionaries from Brazil, because this is a Portuguese-speaking uh, country, and uh, the missionary that started the mission in Guinea-Bissau is on in the red shirt there, and he is uh, Luciano, and he's from Brazil, and we use Luciano because he already speaks Portuguese, and uh, as a Portuguese speaker, we didn't have to train him, so, and uh, we didn't have to spend years sending him to college and training him to speak Portuguese, so instead, we could send him right there and he's from the Christian church in Brazil that was started by uh, Tim's parents, Wayne and Gail Long. Some of you know Wayne and Gail Long and uh, others, uh, missionaries from America. And the Brazilian are so grateful to America for uh, starting the church, Christian church there. That, uh, and now they are able to send out missionaries themselves. And we, we get our missionaries from them, and it saves tens of thousands of dollars. And then they go to uh, Guinea-Bissau and don't take over churches. They uh, don't preach in the same church for years and years and years. They just go to create disciples and train ministers. So... This is, a, that, this is the first church we planted in Guinea-Bissau. It's been there for 20 years, and uh, they were celebrating the 20th uh, anniversary while I was there, and it was a great celebration. Uh, the room, this is at the beginning of the service. Later, the, the aisle was packed, spilled out into the street, and uh, it was just amazing to see their love for Jesus. Um, and we also uh, start schools among our among the Brazilians uh, speak the Portuguese speakers there and uh, this is a classroom in our school um, and the great thing about our schools is that uh, they we teach the gospel in every single class 
It's math and Jesus. History, and history starts with Adam and Eve and goes to the second coming of Christ. Um, and it has everything in between. Um, so they get Jesus in every single class, and it's just a fantastic way of presenting the gospel to them. And we're making a real difference in this country. Uh, last time I was there, I had a chance to speak to the Secretary of Interior in Guinea-Bissau, the Secretary of Defense, and a politician running for president and had a good, very good chance of becoming the president of the country in the next election. And they all voiced to me how they want our mission to plant more schools. And all three of them were Muslim. And they're coming to us and saying, we want your Christian schools all through our country. And, uh, and the children going to these Christian schools, and I have no idea, I'm kind of flying off the cuff here, uh, so I don't know if these pictures are going with what I'm saying or not, but uh, um, the, uh, the children going to these Christian schools, they're coming in as Muslims and coming out Christian and taking Christ home and their whole families are converting to Christ. Uh, one of the uh, parents, while I was, our director almost died a, a couple of years ago and I was the acting director for the mission which was very difficult. I had two full-time jobs then um, as a pastor and the director. And a parent at that time came to the school, and they called me to tell me this. He came to the school, and he was very upset. He was Muslim, and he had sent his child there, and his child had become a Christian. And he was very upset. And the administrator of the school said, you do know that you're sending a child to a Christian school. And he said, yes, I know that. He says, and you do know that we teach them about Jesus here. Yes, I do. And uh, he stopped, and he thought for a bit, and he said, I'm okay with that because my child is going to have a good education and get a good job. And he left happy. Um, so that is the impact we're having on this country, as well as doing some economic uh, help with fishing boat industries and cashew crop industries to help the, the country in many different ways. So we, we're having an enormous impact, such an impact that the, the political leaders who are Muslim are saying, we want more. We want more of what the Sportic Christian Mission is doing in our country. We are changing the country for Christ. And then our missionaries um, and our ministers that are Guinea-Bissau people are saying to us, but we're not just going to change Guinea-Bissau. They said, we're going to change all of West Africa. We're going to take the gospel to all the countries around us. And that makes me feel good as being part of this for 20 years, but it's a great experience to be helping to share the gospel with others. Um, back to the passage for today, because it's not enough just to have a passion for seeing people saved. We need to teach them the proper and biblical way to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 6. Romans 10, 6. But faith's way of getting right with God, so faith's way of being saved, says, don't, don't say in your heart who will go to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. 
And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And the message is, is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? The Bible clearly prescribes how to be saved. And the first step to salvation is hearing the gospel you must hear the gospel biblically there is no possibility for salvation outside the gospel of jesus christ you must hear about jesus before you can be saved when i was growing up i remember hearing quite a few pastors actually saying over and over again that god that god had mercy on the ignorant who had never heard about jesus but I found as a pastor, that isn't true. Just like American law, God says, ignorance is no excuse. If you're going 90 down the freeway and you say, I didn't know the speed limit, the cop's not going to say, oh, that's okay then. And neither does God. I've had that personal experience. How many others? No, you don't have to stick your hand up. Uh, Acts 17 says, it put it this way. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul says that in earlier times, God may have overlooked people's ignorance, but no longer. God didn't invest the life of his son just to save those who don't believe. We must believe in Jesus to be saved. He invested his life into those who would believe. So the first step is hearing and believing the gospel. The second step, uh, I shouldn't say the second step is believing the gospel. You must believe in Jesus to be saved. It's not enough just to hear about Jesus. You must believe. Acts chapter 4 verse 10 says, Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he has healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scripture where, he sa where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is, no, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. By which we must be saved. Paul clearly states that you must believe in Jesus to be saved. There is no one else that can save us from our sins than Jesus Christ. 
The third step to salvation is confessing the name of Christ before others. In Romans 10.10, if you look on, it says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Openly declaring your faith in Jesus by which you're saved, Paul says. I hear TV preachers say all the time, if you pray to Christ, say the sinner's prayer in your bedroom all by yourself, then you're saved forever. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we must confess or declare our faith before others to be saved. Jesus once said it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 10, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. You must confess Christ publicly to be saved. There are no secret Christians. We are all meant to be part of the bride of Christ, the church, which will join God at that great great, uh, uh, banquet of the Lamb in heaven one day. We are meant to be together as believers following Christ. Salvation is meant to be a public event. It's meant to be something you proclaim to the church family. And you ask, well, why? It's you all that will help somebody. Somebody was baptized just a couple weeks ago. Just, um, you know, it's you all that will help him to stay close to Christ. It's you that will disciple him and encourage him and help him to be a Christian for the rest of his life, living for God. If we just say a prayer and never step into a church or associate with another person, it's not very likely we're going to live much for God. So it's important to be part of the family of Christ. And in the early church, that confession always included baptism. Baptism was the public declaration that you had chosen to follow Jesus. It was that that act of baptism marked your new birth into Christ. And I know I've talked to people and they'll say, well, when's the exact moment of, of salvation? We don't know because in the New Testament times, it was all done at the same time. You accepted Christ, you confessed Christ, you were baptized at the same time. But it's part of that public declaration that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we do with that information? Well, if you've never publicly declared your faith in Jesus, then you need to do so. That's something God wants you to do. In the South, it's still the practice of all churches in the South to always have an invitation, to end with an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I've visited other areas in the country in recent years, and I've noticed, to me, a disturbing trend not to have invitations and not to have uh, pastoral prayers, which I was glad to see Darren up here taking your prayer requests. That's a great tradition that should always be in every church. But the invitation is something that seems to be falling away. And it saddens me. Because if someone is moved to accept Christ, 
if God is working on their heart and they have feel called to, to accept Christ, and then there's no opportunity. Who knows if that person will ever be in a church again? If they ever feel that same movement of God's Spirit again in their lives. And so it's our, our duty as pastors, as churches, to give that moment for people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're, they're meant to be confessed Christ before the body. We've got to give that opportunity for them to give, to give that confession of faith. But it's not just the duty of the pastor to give that moment. It's the duty of, of every single member of Christ's body. If you look at Romans 10, 14, it says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, that is hearing the good news about Christ. That is just another restatement of the Great Commission, telling, the, telling every Christian that it is our duty to share the life-giving gospel with as many as we can. There are some people who will never hear the gospel if it doesn't come through you. I have shared the gospel in some interesting places over the year. I take seriously that call to uh, make the most of every opportunity. I remember one time we were traveling to Canada, stayed in a half-star hotel, scary place, and I went to move the vehicle under the light more so it wouldn't be gone in the morning, and somebody asked, started talking to me about Jesus. Later, my wife sent my son out to find me because I had been gone for probably an hour, and uh, he found me out there, and he was laughing when he found me, so she said, oh, well, he must be alive. <laughs> I remember sharing the gospel once. We were on vacation, and I sat down in a jacuzzi to relax, and for some reason, somebody said something about Jesus. And I sat there and shared the gospel with somebody sitting next to me in a jacuzzi in Florida. There was one time we were again in Florida, and we were walking down to the pool, getting away, wanted to relax. And as we passed through the gate to the pool, this Puerto Rican man yelled out, Over here! Over here! We've saved you a place! Come sit with us! Well, there's about 20 other places to sit, so we were kind of... Beth looked at me and says, What do we do? I, I said, I guess we go sit with him. And we sat down with him and shared Jesus and helped them with their marriage. Their marriage was on the rocks. And partly because he was living in, in Florida and she was living in Puerto Rico. Pretty hard to keep a marriage on good terms that way. But uh, so we shared Jesus with them. Even last night, uh, we had my 40th class reunion. It ended up being an 80s class reunion, so Darren was there. 
and one of his classmates starts talking to us about Jesus. And we were there for about two hours after everybody else left because there was an opportunity to share Jesus. The Bible says, make the most of every opportunity. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to share Jesus today. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.